welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. How you doing? Just want to give everyone thanks that has worked so hard to help us have a wonderful, smooth transition into state. Had it been great? Just so thankful to be here, so thankful to worship the Lord with our spiritual family here. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. We're continuing on our series entitled The Real Church, and I was reflecting this week about a pretty embarrassing experience I had this past summer. I was out at a retreat center for the School of Transformation uh, beginning retreat, and I had some spare time as they went in and started sharing testimonies. My family was out there, and so we're on this, this large property, and I thought, you know what, we're going to go off and explore. So we take my truck, we drive out uh, kind of to the backside of the property, and I see this trail that's not kept well anymore. And I'm thinking, you know, like, no one's driven on that in a long time, and I just got to do it. I, I just got to take off and see where that goes. I don't know if, if curiosity ever gets the best of you. And so I'm about to, to drive off. I'm in my pickup truck with my three boys with me, and then this debate starts on my head. You really shouldn't do that. That's not a marked trail. I don't think they'd want you. Oh, Herbers have been doing this for generations. We, we forge trails where there are no trails. But you have your three boys with you, and someone could get hurt. They won't get hurt. You're an outdoorsman. You have a big V8 truck, right? And, and so this debate's going on in my mind. And finally, I'm like, okay, we're just going to do this. We, we, we've got to go. And, and so I pull off, and I start. I mean, at first, it's awesome. We're careening over these big rock outcroppings and looking at views. The boys are in the back. And heading, heading up and, and, and navigating it, you know, and I'm going, yeah, I'm made for this. I, you know, I'm an off-road driver, <laughs> right? And, and, and here we go, and then it gets, it gets more and, and more rough, and all of a sudden the brush is getting tighter and tighter and tighter until finally we get stuck. And I go, oh, man. And, and at that moment, you start realizing, you know what, this was a bad idea. Why did I do that? Why was I so prideful? Generations of Herbers, they were in wagons on horses. I'm in a Ford pickup truck. And, and so I'm going, oh, man, now I'm in. And it's so tight that I realize I'm going to have to back my way out of this. And, and so I've got Hudson, you know, watching off the back of the truck. And, and he's, he's guiding me. And here we are slowly going backwards. And I'm going, oh, man, what a waste of time. And then I see an opening in the brush where I can turn my truck around. I'm like, yes, I'm going to get out of here. This is awesome. So I drive the truck. I turn it around. And right when I'm going off-road, my front tire goes right into sand. And I was like, what quicksand? I thought that was only in Princess Bride, right? With the, <laughs> the, the rodents of unusual size. And my, my front tire goes down, and, but I'm still, you know, I'm like, you know what? I grew up in the country. I drive trucks. I can do this. So I, I get out, you know, and I'm like, boys, this is how you do it. And so I get some wood, shove it under the tire, and my, my truck goes further down deep. So I try another trick until finally I am down on the ground. 
And we are way away. It was, it was a long drive to get to this part of the property. And that's when my heart starts going, you know, and you have that kind of heat go across your body, you know, and you're like, I am an idiot, you know. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I look at my boys, I'm like, this is why you don't do things like this. <laughs> Boy, I just want to tell you, this is, this is why we don't leave our trails. And uh, so next thing, you know, it, and it's like 100 degrees outside, and we are walking, and my boys are like, I want water. I'm like, yeah, I, I do too, boys. And here, here we are, we have to walk the whole way back, and I am so embarrassed. And you know what, honestly, the first thing that came to my mind was, I've got to hide this from everyone. Like, I can't, I can't tell anyone I did this, you know? And my boys are, Dad, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet, right? This is, we, keep, we keep walking and walking and walking. We finally get back, and by then, by the time I've walked all the way back to the retreat center, I'm realizing I'm just going to have to humble myself and tell people what happened, you know? Because I, I can't leave my truck out there. I've got to get back tomorrow's church. Like, I can't just, I can't live here. And so... <laughs> I've got, I've got to ask for help. And, and so I walk in, and thankfully, the camp chef is like a master, Sam Aziz, some of you know him. He's like the master of all car things. So I get him, and he's like, oh, no problem, boss. You know, we go get it. And uh, he, has a, he, he is just such a fun guy. And so we borrow a, a four-wheel drive truck, and we're driving out. And he's like, now, what happened? I'm like, I know, Sam, I'm, I'm stupid. And we go, we connect the, tr the truck, and the four-wheel drive can't pull it out. I'm like, oh, no, this is, I, I, I'm like starting to imagine my, my truck like rusting out and, you know, 100 years from now, explorers finding it, you know, and having to build, you know, buildings around it. And so we're, we're working, we, we work for a long time, we do all kinds of things, I'm praying, Lord Jesus, set my truck free, you know, and finally we get it out. And unbelievably, very little damage to it. The only thing was damaged was my pride that day. We're coming back, and I realize, you know what? That is very indicative of our lives, isn't it? You know, there are times when all of us find ourselves stuck. And it's not just your vehicle. It's your personal life. We find ourselves stuck in sin. We find ourselves stuck in pain. We find ourselves stuck in bondage. And the reason are typically three reasons. And they were the very things, even, even though this was more allegorical, the very three things that got me stuck. First of all, generational thoughts, right? Herbers have been driving off-road for years. I can do this. The second one is pride, right? I got a big truck. You know, I know what I'm doing. And the third is just temptation, right? Oh, I've got to get off the trail. That looks so good. And, and we find ourselves stuck. And I want to tell you this morning that God wants to help us get unstuck. And in the Christian world, we call that freedom. We call it freedom in Christ. We've been talking about these five Ds on our spiritual growth journey as New Testament believers. I want to put that up for a moment. This is what we believe happens to people as they go with Jesus on a journey of transformation in the real church. It starts with making a decision. If you were with us on Easter Sunday, you saw numerous people coming down front, making a decision to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. They'd come to a place in their lives realizing that they were stuck in sin, and so they made a decision asking Jesus to come and free them. The second part is dunked. That's our colloquial way of saying baptism. 
So we get baptized after we make a decision for Christ, showing that the old life is gone and the new life in Jesus has come. Then we move to the third, which we're going to talk about today, delivered. Delivered into freedom. So many believers don't understand that we can live free from sin, live free from bondage and free from captivity. Jesus came in the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 18, 19, and 20. He says, I came to set the captives free. I came to set the captives free. Once we're free, we're able to go on and be a fruitful follower of Jesus by being discipled and then being deployed. So I want to come and focus in on this D, delivered into freedom today, and give you some thoughts from that this morning. I want to give you two different characters from the Bible that we're going to study this morning as we're, we're looking at them. But before that, sometimes Christians don't actually think they need freedom. You know, that, that's an interesting, an interesting thing is, is many people don't actually realize they're stuck. So here's some indications that you might need more freedom in your life. If you deal with anxiety, the Bible promises us peace. But if you find you're often battling anxiety, you might need more freedom. If you deal with anger, we think, well, everyone deals with anger. Well, the Bible promises us that we can operate in the fruit of the Spirit, of love. If you deal with lust, and that's a fight in your life, the Bible promises us that we can have purity of eyes, mind, and heart. If you deal with fear, the Bible promises that we don't have to have a spirit of fear to be slaves to anymore. If you're not content, the Bible actually promises us abundant life. If you're fighting compulsions and addictions often overtake you, the Bible promises us that we can have freedom. You know, I was talking to this friend of mine that, that leads a, a large church in, in town, and we were both at uh, our kids' event that day, and he was just asking me what was going on with our church, and I was telling him how excited I was because I had just come from our Freedom Day event. We, on a Saturday, and the upcoming one will be on July 22nd, I really encourage you to sign up and mark your calendar but we have a day where we go through freedom tools. We teach, we equip, and then we have activation exercises that help people walk into freedom. And he said, wow, that, that's, that's so cool because he goes, in my church, no one would admit that they need freedom. I said, man, that's not our church at all, bro. I said, uh, people understand that there's brokenness and pain in their life. And so we packed out our, our small auditorium by our offices, and, and people are experiencing God in incredible ways. He said, man, I, I just love that about your church. And I said, I do too. I'm so thankful to have a church where people are willing to be real. Our vision statement is get rocked, get real, and give it away. And this is a church where we're very real with our issues. Can I just tell you, everyone has issues? Everyone has issues. Everyone needs more freedom. It's just whether we choose to admit that or not. When we admit it, the Bible says, if you humble yourself under the mighty right hand of God, then he will lift you up. I want to tell you, it behooves you to admit that you need more freedom because then you let the Holy Spirit come and invade your life and take you to the next level in your journey with Jesus. So today, I want to just give you two tools. We go through five 
in our Freedom Day, which I encourage you all to come to, but I want to give you two very important tools from two different people's lives in Scripture. The first we're going to start with is the person of David. David's an Old Testament character. He started as a shepherd boy in Israel, living out in the fields, tending his father's flocks, but he moves all the way from that into being a warrior and eventually being king and ushering Israel into its golden age as a nation. So many people admire David with his many gifts, his, his gift of being a poet or a musician, his gift of fighting and slaying a giant, leading an army, his, his gift of ruling and reigning. But the thing that we admire most about David is the Bible says that he fulfilled all of God's purposes in his generation. And he was known as a man after God's own heart. Isn't that what you want to be known as? You know, and here's the thing I find is that many people think, well, I could never be a person after God's own heart. I could never be a woman after God's own heart. I could never be a man after God's own heart because of the sin, because of the issues in my life. And the amazing thing is, if you really study David's life, he had tons of sin. He had all kinds of issues. I mean, if you study his life, you find him making grave mistakes. One of the most famous is when David's up on his rooftop and he's looking down at all his his army is off the war. That's where he should have been as a king, but instead he's hanging out, being lazy at home. He's up on his rooftop and he sees a, a woman bathing down before him. And instead of guarding his eyes, which he would have known to do according to the scripture that he was raised with, he feasts on, on that picture and then even solicits that woman to come up to his palace and then he has an encounter with her and, and, and sleeps with her and thus he sinned and then soon he finds out that she's pregnant. And what does David do? Instead of turning and repenting from that sin, then he decides to cover that up by bringing her husband back from war, hoping that that. that he will believe that she's pregnant from him, but, but the husband doesn't go there. So then David plots for her husband, Uriah, to be put on the front lines so that he can be killed, and he is killed. So David has committed adultery, and now he has killed the husband of the woman who he committed adultery with. I mean, this is grave sin. And yet it's baffling that at the end of his life, he's still known as a man after God's own heart. And I want to pick up in the story today in 2 Samuel 12 to show you how that transpires. The prophet Nathan comes to David and he points at David and says, David, you have sinned. You are that man. And how does David respond? Let me just tell you, David doesn't respond how we so often respond. So many times we sin and we try to hide it. We won't admit it. This is natural human nature. It cracks me up. One of my kids will hit the other one, and I'll be like, I can't believe you just hit your brother. And they'll go, I didn't hit my brother. And you're like, I just saw you hit your brother. And then they'll say, well, it's because he stuck out his tongue at me. And I'm like, exactly, you hit your brother. And they're like, well, and it's because he's mean. And, and, and so they first, they, they don't admit that they've hit him, and then they blame shift. And do you know this is just as old as time? I mean, you look in the book of Genesis, very first sin, Adam and Eve take this fruit that God's told them not to take. God comes down, and he's like, Adam, why'd you take the fruit? He goes, well, it's that woman. 
that, wo- that woman that you gave me. I mean, first he blames the woman. Then it's almost like he's blaming God. Like, God, you had a really bad idea giving me that woman. Like, it's just our natural tendency to not accept the blame, to, to, to not receive that. But I love what, what David does because it's an absolute key to freedom. Verse 13, it says, then David said to Nathan. So remember, Nathan the prophet comes and says, David, you're in sin. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. David got it right here. This is called confession. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Key one, if you're taking notes, I always encourage you to take notes. The first key to walking in freedom is confession. Confession is a powerful weapon we have to defeat darkness in our life. Let me ask you today, is there any sin in your life that you have not confessed? Is there any sin in your life that you have not confessed? I'm not saying this today to condemn you. I'm saying this today to set you free. The Bible says this in James 5:16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confession is much like this. Confession is like this experience I used to have growing up. We'd go off to this cabin out in the woods, and because it would stay uninhabited for weeks and even months at a time, the insects would start crawling in it. And so we would go, and the first thing we'd do is we'd, uh, we'd turn on the power at the electricity pole and we'd walk into the cabin. And as you walk in, you could kind of see these insects and roaches and crickets going like, right? You want to hear that again? And, uh, but then right then you'd flip on a light and they'd all go, and they'd disappear, right? Confession is turning on the power and turning on the light to drive away the objects of darkness, Confession is turning on power and turning on light to drive away the objects and instruments of darkness. When you turn on confession, when you flip on the switch of confession in your life, you expose the deeds of darkness. The enemy traffics in hiddenness. The enemy traffics in darkness. And confessing brings light, a big, bright light into the darkness of our lives and dispels the enemy's schemes. Watch what David does. When he gets caught... He ends up saying this long confessional prayer to the Lord. We find it in Psalm 51. I just want to read it to you. Can we put up Psalm 51 on the screens? This is such a powerful psalm because David understood the character of God in the midst of his sin. Can I just say that again? David understood the character of God in the midst of his sin. So oftentimes we fail to come to God in our sin because we don't understand how he will treat us or how he sees us. Look at Psalm 51. David had good theology. Theology is simply the study of God, theology, the study of God. David understood who God was. He says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, 
and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Such a powerful psalm. Let me just give you some thoughts from some individual lines in this psalm. He starts with this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. David is not appealing to his own righteousness. So many times the reason we don't want to confess is we feel so dark, we feel so dirty, and we come to God thinking, I'm unworthy to approach you. And God says, of course you are, but you don't approach me in your worthiness, you approach me because of my love for you. Did you catch that? When my kids have done something wrong, they can come to me not because they're perfect, but it's because I'm a loving father that wants to restore them and help them and lead them in the right way. And that's how God is with you because of his unfailing love. Do you know that no matter how sinful you are, God's love is unfailing to you? Some of you were treated harshly by your parents in sin, and so that's the wrong depiction you have of God. Can I just tell you that God's love never fails you? Like, don't think it's all about you. His love is more powerful than your sin. Some of us have bad theology. We think my sin is so big that I've beaten God. He's like, your sin is like a little flea. Blink, right? I can just flick it away. You come to me. Come to me in my mercy, in my unfailing love. It says, blot out my transgressions. Look at that next verse says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from your sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so your verdict and you're uh, in your verdict and justified when you judge. Do you know that there's an actual right and wrong? Awesome, two people know that. <clears throat> okay, um, for the rest of you in this room, our culture is teaching that there's actually no right and wrong. Like whatever you feel is right. No, can I just tell you that this book clearly outlines what is right and what is wrong? This book is the foundation for truth. It actually doesn't matter how we feel about it. Like you're like, oh, it doesn't feel good to me. Sorry! This book is not asking how you feel. Right? This book is truth. And so God has an absolute standard of righteousness. You go, well, that's so hard. Well, it's really not because in the midst of his righteousness, he still loves you even when you're wrong. But it, there is an absolute truth. Don't let anyone tell you anything else. The Bible says, like, God be true and every man a liar. When someone tells you there's no absolute truth, they're lying to you. God is right. And so when we break his law, he's right to judge and you go but that's so harsh no it's not because listen if you'll come to him he will wash you clean he will wash you white as snow he's a righteous judge but he is a benevolent forgiver and so we 
come and say, God, against you have I sinned. What we have to understand, so many times people say, well, my sin's not hurting anyone. You know, it was my truck, and I was just driving out on the trail. And then, but you know what? My sin not only affected me, it affected my boys, and then I had to get someone else to help me. And our sin always affects more than just me. And our sin ultimately is against God. We are his children. And our sin's against him. Verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth. you got to catch this one. Look at what David says. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. People think, you know, uh, humans are, are, are good and there's just some people that are bad, right? I don't know if you've spent any time around a baby or, 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 or a little kid. I mean, it, it, they, they, they don't... They don't ask you, may, may I poop here? No. I, I don't know about your house. We had some blowouts, right? And You know, you, you're, you're holding your kid. You try to feed him, and all of a sudden, and they, they bite you. You're what? You're like a little baby. How could you do that to me, right? Could please be quiet. Right? I have, I have seen the, the cutest little kids, you know, and they're just playing on the playground, and all the next thing you see, they go like, Poof. You're like, you were so cute. How could you do that? The Bible says we were sinful at birth. Now, am I saying everything they do is evil? Absolutely not. They're made in the image of God. There's, of course, people do wonderful things, but can I just tell you that when Adam sinned, when Adam and Eve chose sin, it brought sin into the world, and so every person is sinful. And if you don't believe that, you're buying into the exact line of thought that the enemy wants you to believe, because if you don't believe that every person's sinful, then you don't believe everyone needs a Savior, and then you don't need Jesus. The Bible says all have sinned, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7, 20 says there's no one without sin. There is no one who always does righteous. That, that the Bible is very clear that all of us have this sin problem. David's saying, hey, from the beginning of my life, even in the womb, I was sinful. And so God, I knew I needed you from the beginning. That is why Jesus came and died. He was the only one without sin. The only person that has ever lived upon this earth without sin is Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. And therefore, when he went to the cross, he was paying for your sins because he did not deserve to suffer and die. When he stretched out his arms on the cross, the Bible says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He was taking the sins that you've committed, that I've committed, that the whole world's committed, and he was dying for them. The wrath of God was executed on him, though he did not deserve it. He died for our sins, but then he rose again, defeating the power of sin and death, and he offers you forgiveness. There has to be a punishment for sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that is the way that you can have your sins forgiven is that you acknowledge that Jesus is the punishment. He has received the punishment for your sin. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. Verse 7. 
That's how David could say this. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. The power of confession is that you can go from being a sinful person to actually living a life that before God is whiter than snow. I just want to tell you, so many Christians, I meet so many Christians all the time, they they live in condemnation. They live feeling so dirty. They actually do not like their lives. Why? Because they don't live understanding that they've been made whiter than snow. And so the same way that we get saved is the same way that we live our lives. We get saved by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. By confessing that I've sinned and I need a Savior, well, then we're born again. But after being born again, we use this tool continually, this tool called confession, because you will sin again. There is a war between the flesh and the spirit going on in you. And when you sin, you don't say, now I've just blown it. I can't believe it. I will forever be dirty. No, you come and you confess. Father, I confess that I have sinned against you. When I said that thing to that person, when I did this thing with my body, when I thought this thing with my mind, I confess that was a sin against you. I repent. I turn away from that sin. Now cleanse me. And you receive God's cleansing. That is the power of confession. It says this in verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. What does that mean? When we sin, conviction comes upon us. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of our sin. And, And David's saying it's like the bones you crush. Now, we don't have any evidence that David's bones were actually crushed. In scripture. So what I believe is that he was experiencing that that heat, that heart beating, that sick feeling when you know you've done something wrong. It's called conviction. We sin. If we could put up this diagram, there's two things that we can do. One is wrong, one is right. I call the first the, the condemnation loop. We sin and then God convicts us of our sin. That is so good. When we are convicted, it means the Holy Spirit is trying to turn us back to him. But so oftentimes, you know, we feel like, oh, my bones are crushed. This feels horrible. This is awful. And we go into condemnation. We think, I'm a loser. I'll always be stuck in sin. I'm a horrible person. God doesn't want to be around me. And when we choose condemnation, watch what happens next. We have a shameful and hardened heart. Because we're thinking, I'm so unworthy. And then when we go around with a shameful and hardened heart, we're empty. And what does that do? That leads us into more sin. So I call this the condemnation loop. When you turn into condemnation, you just get a harder and harder heart. You choose more sin. And you just get caught in this vicious cycle. But let me show you the power of confession. I call this the confession launch. The confession launch. You sin. And then you are convicted by the Holy Spirit. Oh, I feel so horrible for my sin. So what's the rightful step to take? You confess. Father, I confess. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm so sorry I did that. Lord, come and cleanse me. I turn away from that. I won't do that again. And watch what happens. From confession, you receive forgiveness. And all of a sudden, you find yourself set free. I feel washed. Why does so? I can't believe I'm forgiven. This is amazing. And watch what happens. You receive freedom and forgiveness. And boom, you're launched into more intimacy with God. 
What a powerful tool we've been given called confession. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. When you confess your sins, the purpose is so that we can be restored to that presence that we continually walk in with the Lord. And he can send his Holy Spirit to fill us afresh, to empower us afresh. And all of a sudden, we have restored the joy of my salvation. God wants you to live in joy. I'm not telling you that every aspect of your life is always going to be perfect, but as a believer, if we live up to date on confessing and repenting of our sins, we have an underlying joy within us that my sins are forgiven and we can walk constantly in the presence of God. Oh, it's a beautiful, wonderful gift that God's given us. Now, I only have time to tell you one more tool today. Like I said, I, we, we use five major tools from Scripture in helping people get set free. That's why I want you to sign up on July 22 for our Freedom Day. But I can't talk about delivering people to freedom without sharing this tool. So we're going to go to one more tool. We see it starting in Mark 1, verse 23. It says, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with this Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The, the second tool I want to teach you about today is called deliverance prayer. It's the casting out of evil spirits. You know, unfortunately, for, for about the past 50 years up until recently, this has been neglected in the church in America. Definitely not in the places where Christianity is growing most rapidly, throughout Africa, throughout Latin America, and South America, and throughout Asia. This is very common. As I travel around those places, it's very common. But in the West, for the last 50 years, and by God's grace, that's now changing, this was not talked about much because of what people would call modernity, or the scientific revolution, everybody believed that every action on earth just had a mechanical or scientific uh, origin to it. So people stopped believing in the spiritual realm. And so for years, in many churches, people weren't teaching that this was still going on. No wonder there's so many problems in people's lives. Right, I, I, was, uh, I saw the evidence of, of this, um, kind of the, the shift that we're seeing in culture from modernity to what we're living now, which is post-modernity, where people actually are much more aware that there is a spiritual realm. I was talking to a woman uh, at the airport the other day, and she said, I, I, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. She goes, well, I'm a scientist. This is going to be interesting. 
and, and, and I said, oh, I love talking to scientists, and, and uh, my brother-in-law is a scientist. I have very many close friends that are scientists, but, but this woman said, hey, I believe that everything just has a scientific explanation, and so I said, well, let me just tell you some stories, and I was sharing story after story of miracle, and she said, well, I think this is the scientific explanation for this, and this is the scientific explanation, but the more we talked, the more the presence of God was just moving, and the more our hearts were connecting, and so she finally, at the end of about a two-hour conversation, goes, okay, I, ha- I have to ask you a question. Do, do you believe in ghosts? I went, why? She goes, well, I think my dad's house is haunted. I said, I thought you were a scientist. She goes, I know, I know, I know, but, but <laughs> like, I, things like move, and it's weird, and the temperature drops, and this is crazy, and I said, yeah, there is a spiritual realm in the Bible There are evil spirits, but here's the great news. This Jesus I've been talking to you about, he has power over these spirits. I said, next time you're in there, just call on the name of Jesus. She goes, oh, thank you. (laughs) You know, people might have a hard time believing something until they experience it. And, And let me just tell you that so many people are being attacked by evil presence and evil spirits. Uh, let me, can I just tell you that the Bible's true and that Jesus is the same? And, and Jesus said that his disciples would drive out demons. They would cast out evil spirits. And that, that might be a little weird for you, but I encourage you to read the Bible and to study this because so many people's problems come from the enemy's attack. Let me just give you, a, give you a, a story about this in the New Testament as we're coming towards the end of our message, Acts chapter 16. Once when they were going to a place of prayer where we were, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling us the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Here's what I've seen throughout the years. I remember one man that just came and he was... Very normal guy, uh, working a a very normal job, but he said, man, I I just get afflicted. I get attacked. And so I started interviewing about his life. Turns out he had done done some drugs. And as we know, drugs are a gateway for the demonic to come into people's lives. There's windows and doorways that we can open into our life. Drugs are a, a, a very clear gateway. Many of you right now are nodding. Some of you have really experienced this. And so I said, okay, what we're going to do is I'm going to have you confess that doing those drugs was wrong, and then we're going we're gonna to go from there. So we confessed, God, I'm sorry for doing those drugs. I repented that. Then what we did was we commanded the spirits that had come in through those drugs to leave. Immediately, the guy falls on the ground, falls out of his chair, onto the ground, starts convulsing. Okay, you think, well, that's crazy. No, it's just the same thing that was happening in the Bible. The next thing we do is we command those spirits to leave. Then a a, a few moments, the man had gotten up, and he goes, wow, I feel better. From that moment, he started being so bold in sharing Jesus. 
He started having such victory in his life. Can I just tell you that one of the tools that God has given the church is deliverance prayer. And it's not some hocus-pocus, movie, exorcist type of thing. It's merely, in the name of Jesus, commanding spirits that are afflicting people to leave. So many people are hearing voices, and they think, well, I just must have a mental illness. And I'm not invalidating mental illness. There are mental illnesses, but many of them, it's just demons attacking their minds. Many people, I talk to people all the time, they wake up in the middle of the night, they say something heavy was on me, or there was a presence in my room. It was an evil spirit. Do you know that you have authority in the name of Jesus to command that to leave? And so we set people free through deliverance prayer. I remember a a, a young youth coming into one of our life groups, and he said, hey, I'm really having problems because at night things start happening in my house, and I start getting choked. And, and, And people tell me this all the time. And so I started interviewing him. I said, hey, are you watching horror movies? He goes, oh yeah, I've watched a ton of them. I said, who do you think is the author of horror movies? Do you think it's God or Satan? He wasn't a believer. He goes, Satan said, you're, you're absolutely right, because God does not think of death and murder and violence and destruction, and so when you purposely put yourself in front of this kind of media, you're opening a door and saying, Satan, come in with your ideas, your concepts, and it's a traffic, it's, it's like a highway for the demonic to come into your life. Okay, don't just hear this story and go, oh, that's so interesting, and then go watch horror movies tonight. No, this, I am encouraging you, do not watch movies with horror or witchcraft or or magical realms other than things from the light, which is Jesus. There are only two sources of power, Jesus and the devil. And when we take in things that are not from Jesus, we let demonic traffic in us. And so we, we asked him, well, will you repent of this? Will you confess this? Yes. He says, I'm sorry, God, for doing this. All of a sudden, his body starts shaking. He's going, ah, what's going on? We said, that's the enemy. He doesn't want to lay, let, let you go. We commanded those demons to leave him in Jesus' name. All of a sudden, the kid was filled with so much joy, he gave his life to Jesus. Right? That's the power of deliverance prayer. You have authority by who you are in Christ to tell every demon in hell to leave. And sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes our, our truck drives up, gets stuck, and we need someone else to help us. So if you've been attacked, if you're hearing voices, if you're having physical constriction, if you're having tremendous anxiety or overwhelming anger, maybe it's a demonic spirit that's attacking you. Go and get help from the body of Christ. Humble yourself. We all get stuck at different times. Here, here's a story from my own life. I was about to go on a mission trip to the Philippines. And as we're in our team meeting preparing, I have this piercing headache that I I started experiencing. And I said, hey team, would you guys pray for me right now? A discerning young woman on our team, as they're praying, she goes, Robert, do you have any ties in your family to to Freemasonry? I said, well, yeah, actually I I, I do. My my great-grandfather was a was a mason. She goes, did you know that they make spiritual vows that are tied to things that aren't Jesus? I said, wow, I didn't know that. She said, do you want to pray and break those off, confess that, and ask the Lord to cleanse out anything in your life that came from that? I said, absolutely do. 
So right there, I confess, Lord, I'm so sorry, because do you understand that some ways that the enemy traffics in your life is through generational sins and patterns? So I said, Lord, I'm so sorry for my family being involved in that. I don't think they knew any better. I confess that, and I tell any spirit to leave me. My headache immediately went away. From, from, From my earliest years up until that time, I was about 21, I carried Tylenol in my bag because I so constantly had headaches. Do you know I haven't had to do that since then? Those headaches have never come back. I've had like an occasional sinus headache, but those were almost daily. They've never come back. Praise God. Can I just tell you that God wants to set us free. He wants to set you free from the generational bondage of your ancestors. He wants to set you free from the sins that you've committed. He wants to set you free from the pain that's come in your life, from what you've observed or what you've taken part of. There is power in Jesus to be set free. And he wants us to appropriate that church. Why don't we go ahead and stand up? Would you close your eyes with me? Jesus is so wonderful. He wants to set you free. But just close your eyes with me. If you've never given your life to Jesus, the main way to have freedom in him is by giving him your life. You'll never be good enough for him, but he is good for you. And he died on the cross to set you free. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, I encourage you right now to just pray with me this prayer, this prayer of confessing that you need a Savior and asking Him to be your Lord. That's your heart's desire right now. Just pray this. Just say, Jesus, I confess that I've sinned. I've sinned against you. You could just be repeating this right after me. I need a Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. Come and save me. Come and live inside of my heart. 